0: Part 2. Section 1. Of The Dark Flower. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ashley Jane. The Dark Flower by John Galsworthy. Section 18. Gleam of a thousand lights, clack and mutter of innumerable voices, laughter, footsteps, hiss and rumble of passing trains, taking gamblers back to Nice or Mentone, fevered wailing from the violins of four fiddlers with dark white skins outside the cafe, and above, around, beyond, the dark sky and the dark mountains and the dark sea like some great dark flower to whose heart is clinging a jeweled beetle. So was Monte Carlo on that May night of 1887. But Mark Lennon, at one of the little marble-topped tables, was in two great maze and exaltation of spirit and of senses to be conscious of its glare and babble, even of its beauty. He sat so very still that his neighbours, with the instinctive aversion of the human creature to what is too remote from its own mood, after one good stare, turned their eyes away as from something ludicrous, almost offensive." HE WAS LOST INDEED IN MEMORY OF THE MINUTES JUST GONE BY. FOR IT HAD COME AT LAST, AFTER ALL THESE WEEKS OF FERMENT, AFTER ALL THESE STRANGE TIMES OF PERTURBATION. VERY STEALTHILY IT HAD BEEN CREEPING ON HIM EVER SINCE THAT CHANCE INTRODUCTION NEARLY A YEAR AGO, SOON AFTER HE SETTLED DOWN IN LONDON following those six years of Rome and Paris. First, the merest friendliness, because she was so nice about his work. Then respectful admiration, because she was so beautiful. Then pity, because she was so unhappy in her marriage. If she had been happy, he would have fled. The knowledge that she had been unhappy long before he knew her had kept his conscience still, and at last one afternoon she said, Ah, if you come out there too! Marvellously subtle the way that one little outslipped saying had worked in him, as though it had a life of its own like a strange bird that had flown into the garden of his heart and established itself with its new song and flutterings, its new flight, its wistful and ever clearer call. That and one moment, a few days later in her London drawing-room, when he had told her that he was coming, and she did not, could not, he felt, look at him. Queer! that nothing momentous said, done, or even left undone, had altered all the future. And so she had gone with her uncle and aunt, under whose wing one might be sure she would meet with no wayward or exotic happenings. And he had received from her this little letter, Hotel Curdo Monte Carlo. My dear Mark, We've arrived. It is so good to be in the sun. The flowers are wonderful. I am keeping Gorbio and Rockbrun till you come. Your friend, Olive Cramier. That letter was the single clear memory he had of the time between her going and his following. He received it one afternoon, sitting on an old low garden wall with the spring sun shining on him through apple-trees in blossom, and a feeling as if all the desire of the world lay before him, and he had but to stretch out his arms to take it. Then confused unrest, all things vague, till at the end of his journey— he stepped out of the train at Beaulieu with a furiously beating heart. But why? Surely he had not expected her to come out from Monte Carlo to meet him. A week had gone by since then in one long effort to be with her and appear to others as though he did not greatly wish to be. Two concerts two walks with her alone, when all that he had said seemed as nothing said, and all her sayings but ghosts of what he wished to hear. A week of confusion, day and night, until, a few minutes ago, her handkerchief had fallen from her glove onto the dusty road, and he had picked it up and put it to his lips. Nothing could take away the look she had given him then. Nothing could ever again separate her from him utterly. She had confessed in it to the same sweet, fearful trouble that he himself was feeling. She had not spoken, but he had seen her lips part, her breast rise and fall. And he had not spoken. What was the use of words? He felt in the pocket of his coat There, against his fingers, was that wisp of lawn and lace, soft, yet somehow alive, and stealthily he took it out. The whole of her, with her fragrance, seemed pressed to his face in the touch of that lawn border, roughened by little white stars. More secretly than ever he put it back, and for the first time looked round, These people, they belonged to a world that he had left. They gave him the same feeling that her uncle and aunt had given him just now, when they said good-night, following her into their hotel. That good colonel, that good Mrs. Urquhart, the very concretion of the world he had been brought up in, of the English point of view. "'symbolic figures of health, reason, and the straight path "'on which at that moment, seemingly, he had turned his back. "'The Colonel's profile, ruddy through its tan, "'with grey moustache guiltless of any wax, "'his cheery, high-pitched, good-night, young Lennon, "'his wife's curly smile, her flat, cosy, confidential voice.' how strange and remote they had suddenly become. And all these people here, chattering, drinking, how queer and far away! Or was it just that he was queer and remote to them? And getting up from his table, he passed the fiddlers with the dark white skins out into the place. End of section 18 Recording by Ashley Jane